Hello, and welcome to the Magic Music Review Podcast. I'm Jim Spangler, your host. Join me each episode as we talk about our love of Disney music. It could be a song, a movie, a short film, a Broadway show, a Disney theme park, or one of the countless other forms Disney music takes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey through the magic of Disney music on the Magic Music Review. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Magic Music Review Podcast. I'm Jim Spangler, your host, and I'm really excited to share this podcast with you today. We have a special guest with us today. It is Deke Sharon. He is the creator of the contemporary acapella music group D-Capella. That's Disney's new contemporary acapella group. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Deke. Deke is heralded as the father of contemporary acapella, and he's responsible for the current sound of modern acapella, having created it in college and then spread that sound subsequently around the world. Deke produced The Sing-Off, the television show The Sing-Off Worldwide, um, and it had the highest ratings of any new unscripted television show in the U.S. in 2009, and was the third highest rated show on NBC in 2010. In addition, Deke served as arranger, on-site music director, and vocal producer for Universal's Pitch Perfect, Pitch Perfect 2, and Pitch Perfect 3, starring Anna Kendrick and Rebel Wilson. He founded the Contemporary Acapella Society while he was in college, and he was also responsible for many programs, including the Contemporary Acapella Recording Awards, International Championship of College Acapella, Best of College Acapella Compilations, and the first acapella conference, the Acapella Summit. He also is um, responsible for professional ensembles, Voasis and Vocalocity, and Camp Acapella. And like I said, his latest project is Decapella, which was launched in 2018. He is Contemporary Acapella's most prolific arranger, having arranged over 2,000 songs, with many of them in print worldwide with Hal Leonard and Contemporary Acapella Publishing. He's written five books on acapella music, and he also was the vocal orchestrator of Broadway's first acapella musical, In Transit. I'm thrilled to have him on, and actually this is part one of a multi-part series that we're going to do with Deke about decapella and acapella music. Uh, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Um, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Deke. There's not as much music in this as you probably want, uh, but I think the information that Deke shares with us, and when he, uh, especially when he talks about forming the group Decapella, is really interesting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey, everybody. Jim Spangler here. Uh, I have a special guest with me today, uh, a name that I think you've heard me talk about on a previous podcast um, when I talked about the group Decapella. Uh, and their recording, which I'm absolutely obsessed with. Uh, I've got Deke Sharon, uh, the godfather of modern acapella, with me today, and I'm so thrilled to have him. Deke, thank you so much for being it's here. My, it's my pleasure, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to do for you a favor. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I wonder, does that get old? 
hearing that you're the godfather of modern acapella? I mean, I, I'm hugely flattered. The first mention of anything like that was actually in Mickey Rapkin's uh, nonfiction book, Pitch Perfect, where he calls me the father of modern acapella. And that has ah. been bandied about to being the father and the godfather. And in fact, <laughs> I was just on a cruise ship, uh, Harmony of the Seas, Royal Caribbean, in the, uh, this past week. And my kind of co-host for the whole week, Tony DeRosa, this legendary barbershopper. I know Tony he, DeRosa. Yeah, he on stage called me the grandfather of acapella. <laughs> No. So he was like, it looks so young. And I was like, well, it's touch of gray. He was like, really? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, he's not one to talk. He's been around the barbershop world for a long time. Well, his son was teasing him. His son afterwards said, Dad, you called Deke the grandfather of acapella. He was like, oh, no, I meant godfather. So at bottom line, I you know, like it doesn't matter what you call me as long as you call me. Isn't that the old saying, right? That's, that's I'm, true. Completely flattered by all of it. And honestly, right out of, of college, I decided to make a life of acapella and try to make acapella household word and get more people singing. And and uh, it was just a huge dream. And literally everyone laughed at me, including my high school choral director. And now uh, look where we are. So it all worked out, but I exactly. don't take any of it for granted. And I really appreciate all of the... Um, kind words and the kudos and the teasing too. uh my my band that i had to leave a couple years ago the house shacks uh almost 25 years touring around the world together uh when the names started popping up they would tease me incessantly about of course it. They, <laughs> me Papa, they called me padre and i mean all kinds of oh it's just great it was hilarious that's awesome so uh let's just start at the beginning like where did you start singing acapella how did you get involved in that um, well, I started singing before I could speak. In fact, I would bounce my head on my pillow and sing myself to sleep as a, as a baby. And my parents were worried because I'd very vigorously bounce my head. So uh, maybe it's the equivalent of uh, acapella headbanging, I guess. And then age five, my mom plopped me in the uh, church chorus. And by age seven, I, I was uh, obviously loving singing. And she recommended the San Francisco Boys Chorus. By age nine, I was the youngest member ever in the in the touring concert group. And I missed the first month of fourth grade touring around Alaska with a group of, of boys who were all two years and more older than me. So I bet I was that was quite an education. <laughs> oh, I was great. I mean, I missed studying the explorers, but I was exploring myself, which yeah. was uh, truly wonderful. And, um, you know, there was uh, acapella throughout all that, but also uh, performing with instruments and I have nothing right. against instruments for anybody who's wondering. I have a piano and several guitars in my living room. We're, <laughs> we're on of good course. terms. And then uh, <laughs> singing in every choir and every group and, and every musical and everything all the way through uh, elementary school and high school. And then I was in the music man my freshman year, leading the barbershop quartet, kept that going all four years, fell in love with barbershop, fell in love with doo-wop, heard the tough Beelzebub's come to my college, fell in love I need to be in this wonderful double degree program between yeah. Tufts and the conservative music and off to the races. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what made you think, you know, as, cause I know, um, you really kind of changed things with the Beelzebubs. What was the impetus of that? Like, and then from there, what made you think I can have this impact, you know, in the acapella world? Because you really said this music can be different, right? Well, We're, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a strange combination of things. Uh, I I'm, I remember being a kindergartner and giving away all my little toy animals because I didn't really want them anymore. And my mom was so mad at me. And I was like, but mom, I mean, it'll, make, it'll make other people happy. Like, I have this 
I was born and raised in San Francisco. I still live here. I have a little bit of the West Coast hippie thing, like like to teach the world to sing. So there's a piece of that in my personality. There's also, I don't know how, but I was born with uh, high self-esteem and just kind of a belief in myself. And um, my parents never really doubted that I could or should follow whatever passion I want to. I mean, I, I, I got pretty much perfect grades and there was no, you know, but it, but it wasn't like an obsessive thing. It was just kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to do this and that's going to work out well and whatever. So they were always just like, well, honey, you seem to be good at, at doing whatever you want to do. So you can just do whatever you want to do. Unlike so many parents, of course, who are, um, right. you know, be a, be a doctor, be a lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So um, I, I graduated and uh, I had been experimenting with and exploring all different styles of acapella and particularly using your voice as an instrument. So the exploration into vocal percussion uh, when I was, uh, music director of the Tufts Beelzebubs and and my last couple of years there was not like, oh, let's just take something and plop it into acapella, but rather it was a complete overhaul of the way in which I wanted to create music with voices. Bottom line, everybody at every concert across the Harmony Sweepstakes, which I had been going to because it was in the Bay Area, across all of these different college jams that the Beelzebubs were doing because we were the most popular group to invite and whatever uh, back in those days. Of course. Um, they're all singing the same 30, 40, 50 songs, like everyone singing the line sleeps tonight and blue moon and under the boardwalk and for the right. longest time and like the canon, right? And they're beautiful, yeah. wonderful songs. But I was like, if the whole point of being on stage in this group is to make everyone in the audience fall in love with us and more specifically me, because let's be honest, male collegiate acapella is just a giant mating ritual. Totally. <laughs> as, as many things in college are, like, you know, I, it's right. not specific to acapella, <laughs> but um, I wanted to do the latest hits on the radio. And in fact, I would stop by Tower Records every Tuesday to see the Billboard charts and then try to pick a song and then arrange it that night, Wednesday and Thursday, teachers of the group, Friday, Saturday, perform it that weekend and blow people's minds. And it was actually the song In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel that I just could not make work in the kind of traditional four-part male kind of post-doo-wop style and sound with a lot of right. shooby wops and ooh and ah and dit, dit, dit and bum, bum, bum. Right. Uh, so I took out a piece of orchestral staff paper and just started writing out what I heard. And I ended up with five different parts that were uh, percussive. And this is where I think there's some people who think that uh, vocal percussion came from bar from uh, beatboxing from the 80s. But I, I can assure you it didn't. The, the whole beatboxing era around then was uh, very groove driven. And a lot of it was that kind of stick, a stick, a stick, a poop, poop, that kind of a thing. Right. And there was no, like that was just, it was as different from what I was trying to do with vocal percussion as a classical violinist is from a bluegrass fiddler. It's mm -hmm. like the same instrument, but a completely different technique because the most important thing was to not be in the foreground, was not to show off, it was to disappear into the sound. So in that first arrange arrangement, there were five different guys doing vocal percussion. One person's a shaker doing shh, 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 shh and another person's a talking drum, do, do, do. But they're all just like little layers of sound. And in fact, this 14-person uh, group that I had at the time, there were 11 parts. I had the bass tripled because I really wanted a big, strong bass line. And every other person in the group was doing something different. And background synthesizer noises, and uh, you know, overlapping layers of sound and really just treating the voice orchestrally. And it was from there that the reception of that was so huge. I realized like lightning in a bottle, experimented with it for a year. And then when I graduated, I was like, I'm going to make a life of this. Like if people <laughs> only knew, you know, acapella could be so big. And I mean, even the guys in my band thought it was crazy, you know, because they're yeah. going to the party after a yeah. gig. Uh, 
you know, in the house Jackson touring around the world. And I'm sitting here looking for an internet cafe outside Dusseldorf at 11:30 at night. You know what I mean? And they're right. doing Jägermeister shots. And yeah, and, exactly. Like, Deke with this little like, you know, dial up has to get back onto the bulletin board service to try to connect with other <laughs> acapella people to try to put together a festival. But I, you know, I loved it. I still love it. And I knew that if people had it in their life, we could make the world a more harmonious place. And uh, I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And I and I know that's kind of your mission, right? I mean, I know oh, you yes. really firmly believe, uh, you know, one of the things that um, I, I want to talk about CASA uh, sure. but, uh, and how that all came about. Uh, but while we're on this topic, one of the things I love um, about your philosophy. So I'm a former educator. I was a high school right. band director for six years. And my philosophy was always it doesn't matter, you know, because in band, you're going to competitions and, you know, I was in Indiana. And so we were doing marching band competitions all the time, all the time. Uh, all the time. And so, uh, you know, my philosophy was it doesn't matter what the score is. It doesn't matter what the judges think about what you did. What do you think about what you did? And I always said, you know, at the end of the performance, we would circle up and I would say I would ask them straight out. How was the performance tonight? And, you know, I found, and I'm sure you have too, that they were brutally honest. Sure. They would tell me exactly how it went. Sure. Right. But I really love that about what you do and your philosophy of this isn't a competition. No. And, and, and uh, honestly, I believe I'm responsible for more competitions in acapella <laughs> than anyone because uh i started the uh what is now the international championship of college acapella it used to be the mm -hmm. national championship of college acapella. i wanted a march madness of acapella so instead of the ncaa i created the NCCA, and now it's international so now it's right. i mean there are all kinds of there's no good way to say it but right the good right. news is everybody knows about it and then this of course is in pitch perfect and it spun out at some high school level mm -hmm. and then of course i was a music director for five seasons of the sing-off in the u.s and then on three different continents right. so i have presided over over and take uh, the blame for competition being <laughs> such a, a driving factor in so many aspects of acapella. Um, and yet the point of it was never to get groups to compete with each other. In fact, I would give all the people in the sing-off backstage a big speech on their first day. I'd say, look around the room, guys. These people aren't your competition. They're your best friends. Ten years from now, you're still going to be in touch with them. Some of you can fall in love. Some of you are going to get married and have babies. And let me tell you, there have been marriages and there have been babies. So I lost one of my best assistants ever. But, you know, these things happen. They late do. Nights, late night acapella parties. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, uh, the, the, uh, the, the bottom line is that um, when, when all these people are backstage, they're thinking like every other reality show, like, we, we need to win. This is what really matters. And I, and I tell them, like, you don't want the group before you to fall on their face. You want them to be amazing. They fall on their face. People are going to change the channel and watch Mythbusters. That's right. You want them to be unbelievable. And then we have a revolution. That's and right. ultimately, this whole thing, like, it wouldn't exist unless we had the competition. So unfortunately, somebody has to go home at the end of every episode. Of course. But the upside is that now we're able to be on network television and show people what we do. And we had Barbershop on the show. And we had vocal jazz on the show. And we had amazing R&D. Everything. Yeah. Did, Everything. You know, Acapella with rap. I mean, we we tried to have high school through senior citizens. We we you know the yeah. old classic sound and the street yeah. corner doo up sound, all the way to like cutting edge uh, techno. And um, it was an absolute joy to make the show. I wish it was still on the air, but I think I wish it was still on the air too. <laughs> I think mission accomplished because Pentatonics was was launched and absolutely 
we I mean we helped put together, put them together for the show and they now have more followers on YouTube than Beyonce. Yeah, it's crazy. It's great. And the amount of views that they have is like insane. Oh, it's hundreds of millions of views. Oh, I think they're it's, easily half a billion. Yeah. So it's, and it's then, crazy. And then groups like Home Free, who'd been trying every year to be on the show. And it was season four when the audition and they came in with two new guys with, with Southern accents that, right. you know, at the casting table, we said, could you guys learn a country tune and come back tomorrow? And they did. And they were spectacular. And That's we insane. on the show, we <laughs> basically figured out what country acapella is. Like, how do you take the idiom that is country music and the instrumentation or lack thereof that is acapella and marry the two? And Home Free, I think, is the second most uh, awarded and followed group on Patreon. So every time they make a video, their followers give them like $30,000 just because they made a video. That's I crazy. mean, it's. It's lovely because there's yeah. such great guys that are out there and groups like voice play got, you know, taken to another level. And uh, I mean, so many high school programs that were part of that, like, you know, vocal rush and 11th hour are now, uh, you know, nationally and internationally known. I mean, there's just so many great things that have, that have come out of the show. So, yeah. And it was a competition. Yeah. However, the, the competitive aspect is the least important part of it. The most important part is right. to draw an audience and, and to uh, aspire for excellence. Right. And I think that show I think that really showed on the show. I think that it was it was clear that everybody was trying to do their best performance and everybody was cheering everybody else's on everybody else on. Oh, the uh, energy. The, the, yeah. The tunes yeah. you heard from people and saw at the end of each episode were real. Like people were super right. sad that somebody else was going home. And the other way you can really tell that people genuinely enjoyed singing together was the fact that when I did the first opening number for the first episode under pressure, it was supposed to only be for the first show. It was like, a, it was supposed to be like a, one of those pageant shows. Everybody right. does a big number together and then that's it. And it was so joyous and NBC loved it so much. They said, no, 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 no. That's a signature of our show. We're doing that every single show. Yeah. And any other show where you have all these people singing together, they never look at each other. They're oh. all like, I'm just in it to win. You know, exactly. it doesn't matter if it's like a beauty pageant or, you know, like The Voice That's or right. Mechanado. Uh, but yeah. you get this kind of a show where all the people love singing together and it's transformative. Well, and that's the reason, I mean, that's the reason they're singing. They're singing as as a group. And, and when you get together with people that are equally as good, right, are equal at, at in equal quality. It it's an insane feeling to sing with those people. That oh, is amazing. nuts. Yeah, it is. There's it an is incredible not... sense of community and support. And actually, here's the thing that I think I don't think I've ever shared with anyone before. Um, every time there's a reality show, there has to be a psychiatrist backstage whenever there's an elimination, because very often on the individual shows, people come back and they're literally devastated. Yeah. Because they banked everything on winning. They were sure they were going to win. Now, you know, they feel like huge failures and they need counseling and therapy. And it, like it's a it's a legitimate thing. However, oh, yeah. the guy who was backstage at the sing off, you know, I, I, you know, he's sitting there on his iPad backstage and I'm running around, you know, calling sh shots and boom, boom, boom and checking in with people. And I stopped off and I saw him and I was like. You seem really relaxed. Like, you know, I introduced myself and I said, eh, who exactly are you? He said, I'm the psychiatrist. And I said, so why are you here? And he said, well, every other reality show you're needed, but I, but these acapella groups, they're so balanced and the social network is so strong and they're so supportive of each other. And they also have like a really good reality check in place that when they walk off stage, they all hug and they say like, wow, this was such a wonderful experience. We're so glad we got a, ch a chance to be a part of it. Go get them, everybody else. And they're like the healthiest individuals alive. Yeah, And that filled my heart with joy because, you know, a lot of, of my life's mission to spread harmony through harmony is specifically that I do believe that we will 
be a better society when more people are singing. They learn the power of diversity. They learn the interconnectedness of people. They learn how they need others more and how you're not in the spotlight most of the time. It's about supporting other people all the time. All of these right. messages and lessons that are so central to being successful and working together on planet Earth, be it politically or in business or in family life, whatever. And um, and we've got it. We have the secret sauce. And, and right. everybody used to sing until recorded music came around 100 years ago. And uh, and then right. it just kind of slipped off. But I, I'm just trying to get society back to where we used to be. So I love your new podcast, Counterpoint. Thank you. I thank think you, it's great. Thank you. I think that uh, you and Rob do um, an amazing job of explaining acapella. Um, I love, and I know you don't have a whole lot of episodes out there yet, but each episode, I love the education that you give us in that. Um, but I have to tell you, my favorite person on the podcast is yep. Steph. Hey, Stephanie. It's it so is. great. Yes. And and here's why. Because she's the outsider, right? Yep. yep. She's the one that kind of keeps it in perspective and is like, I don't know what that is. What's that? Right. That's right? right. And it's it's such a great addition to as as opposed to just you two guys sitting and talking, because that would be like you could completely nerd out oh, about what you dive. Yeah. And then yeah. lose and then lose some people. No, that was very, it yeah. was a very conscious uh, decision. We wanted to have a producer. We wanted to have a female voice and we wanted to have an outsider. And it just so happens that Rob and Steph are engaged. Yeah. And it also so happens that, uh, that Steph uh, went to Tufts, which is where I went as well. So we, we have different connections uh, to each other and it's, um, it's lovely to have her chime in and, and slow us down or be like, whoa, 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 wait, what are you yeah. guys talking about? Or she can ask the naive question that helps uh, steer the conversation in a way that both, uh, you know, allows Rob and I to, to tag down on these, this kind of deep knowledge and experience that we have right. and yet still right. uh, contextualize for the wider audience, which is why we started yeah. the podcast in the first place. Yeah. So for all my listeners out there, go check out Counterpoint. It is so much fun and there's always great music on it and just great stuff uh, all the time. Your, um, you. your last episode with Lisa Forkish was brilliant and, um, you know, what she had to say about women in acapella and then just the form of acapella, right? The, the, it's not even a genre. You can't even call it a genre, just acapella, the acapella world and how it's expanding and, includes so much more than just the we all sing really tight chords perfectly and you know it's so much more than that so oh well, really... and people people don't realize like the, the tradition of, of acapella around planet earth like almost every music tradition on in any corner of the globe started with acapella yeah and you know taiwan and native americans and south africa and you know uh, norway like all over the place acapella has deep deep roots in right. and, and you know the baltic states singing and whatever and then you've yeah. got sea shanties and you have madrigals and you have gregorian chant and you have doo-wop and you have vocal jazz and you have field hollers and you have you know gospel music and classical choral like there's so much different music that is all led to where we are now right. and yet in the same way it was all people just singing their music of their time the music of their lives and so it's both feels very fresh now but it's the oldest thing it's just it was just great and and all the education that you're doing on it is great uh and um it's enough Thank for somebody you. that has experience and musical knowledge but it's i think it's also good for someone that is fresh to it and doesn't know anything about it uh, well, but wants that, to learn about it 
and that really is the point. So uh, until, let's call it the sing-off pitch-perfect uh, explosion, people who were in acapella, not everybody in a college group or whatever, there were a lot of people who just were like, I'm pre-med and I just want to sing, but the music directors, whatever, like there was a sense of community and there were a couple of water coolers online, digital places where people would share knowledge and whatever. And now we've gone from 200 or 250 college acapella groups when I graduated to over 3,000 now. Yeah. And as many high school groups are out there and middle school groups are now doing it, all kinds of community choirs and people who just love it. And so these people are not all around the same water cooler. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know right. where to find other great groups. They don't know the history. They don't understand uh, the incredible advances that have happened. Like, uh, you know, talking about right. the Kinsey six in one of our early episodes and, and mm -hmm. how this dragapella, this, these four, uh, the beauty shop dragapella quartet literally changed public perception around uh, around music and homosexuality yes. from and being born out of the AIDS crisis, which is yes. uh, tremendous. And, yeah. and thank you for introducing me to them. I know I, I thanked you on Twitter, but but thank you for introducing me to them because they're brilliant. You're very welcome. And I promise you, if you go see one of their shows, you'll you'll have one of those experiences where you laugh so hard that your cheeks physically ache at the end of the night. That's I mean, awesome. They're wonderfully transformative and absolutely brilliant. Yeah, just I, I love it. It's so good. Um, okay, we could talk about all this forever, but let's talk about the main thing that made me reach out. Sure. Um, so let's talk about De Capella, the group. So yes. first, I want to first I want to say when I reached out, um, so that my listeners know uh, the way this all came about is that I just kind of by a whim put out on Twitter that I wanted to talk to De Capella because I knew that they were coming to Chicago and I was going to go to the concert. Um, and I thought, wow, it'd be great to be able to talk to them before, you know, the concert or after the concert or whatever, and just kind of do a quick interview with them yeah. to have it. And then you were the one that responded, <laughs> which I was so excited that you were oh, the one that responded. In a way, it's even easier for me because they have this unbelievable whirlwind international yeah. 42 concert bus tour so after yeah. a show there's like a bus call at 1 or 2 a.m so they're like seeing friends and getting a light of bite course. and having a drink and climbing yeah. on the bus going to sleep getting up the next day blurry-eyed yeah. in a new town i mean it's yeah. and then sound check and everything like that so Absolutely. they're they're behind the ball so i was like you know what i wound up the whole show arranged everything directed created whatever and they're on the road and now i'm back home in my little office and i'll tweet right. to you because it's a lot easier for me Absolutely. No, it's great. It, it is. It's it's very exciting for me, um, as I said before. So first of all, congratulations on this group. They Thank are you. they are spectacular. Thank um, you. Um, I uh, I can't I say enough. Yeah, I can't say enough superlatives about them. I don't know if you, if anybody hasn't listened to my podcast about De Capella, go back and check it out. Um, the recording is breathtaking from the moment it begins to the Thank very you. last chord. Uh, it's so good. So what led to the creation of this group? Um, was it, and, and I'll kind of put what my thinking there is, what, was it your idea? Did you approach Disney or did Disney approach you? Well, kind of both. So here's the story. Um, I have for many years, uh, as you know, since we were talking about CASA and everything, the Contemporary Acapella Society of America, I've been just trying to help people, help groups, help individuals sing, help groups get more popular, help more and get started. And, uh, you know, after the pentatonics boom, there were a couple of groups that came up to me who, who were, who predated pentatonics and said, how do we get in on all of this? Yeah. And so I gave it some thought and I thought, you know, what are other 
artists, what are other musicians doing to be able to capitalize on, on you know, the 21st century uh, music idioms and technology and everything like that? And I realized, you know, so many symphonies are struggling, but as soon as they put a big screen up behind them and they show Star Wars and the symphony plays Star Wars or Indiana Jones or anything else, it's packed. So right. I thought, wait a minute, what if we put some screens up behind an acapella group, you know, almost making like a live YouTube experience. And I know these groups don't have a lot of money to license all this, but they could show some public domain scenes. So Popeye's yeah. in the public domain and they could do a Popeye and then they could do the movie Metropolis and they could have all kinds of like cool nature footage and, and basically have there be a visual component that marries to their incredible different harmonies, whatever the group is and whatever. And I, I pitched this idea to a couple different major groups. I'm not going to say their names. I don't want to call them out. Yeah. And they were like, wow, that's an awesome idea. And then they did nothing with it. Yeah. So then fast forward to uh, a couple years ago, and I was in New York with In Transit, the first acapella music ever on Broadway, music right. on Broadway. And um, uh, Disney Hollywood Records were the people who were making the cast album, and I was producing it because although I was in the music director for the show, I was the arranger, and I'm the acapella guy. I mean, they brought me in because of all my acapella knowledge. And right. uh, after they were off Broadway, and we spent five years you know, changing and building the show from seven people to 11, and I rearranged all the music, and backers auditions and blah 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 and then we're on broadway and boom it's time to make a cast album so we recorded the whole cast album and then the next day one of the biggest blizzards ever hits new york city and we are in the hotel in the middle of manhattan you know like you think oh you can go anywhere you can walk anywhere we couldn't cross the street it was like that kind wow. of a blizzard so we're stuck in this hotel very fortuitously it was myself and it was the uh, head of A&R for Disney Records and Hollywood Records and everything, and who had been there for 20, 25 years. And it was the head of Disney Music Marketing. And so the three of us are at like this long meal, breakfast, like nothing to do today, stuck in the hotel. And, you know, this kind of pause in the conversation. And, and they said, have you ever considered doing like a Disney groups for Disneyland and Disney World, like theme park groups before. And they were like, no, 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 no. We're talking like a major performing arts center group. And it just clicked. It all clicked. Turns out they had been looking for a while to do something like this, not like front burner, but back burner because they knew acapella was big and Disney, but they'd never really found the right person to partner with or the right idea. And right. I immediately and, and Voctiv, as much as I love Voctiv, that's not that's not what they were talking about. No, um, and I love Voctiv. In fact, the cruise ship I was just on uh, was with Voctiv, and they're yeah. tremendously talented. And they're everything. amazing. I yeah. love them. But they wanted more like pentatonics. I mean, they wanted a modern a cappella group. They wanted, right. you know, vocal percussion and energy and of course. Uh, movement and, and that kind of a, a style. Right. So uh, I immediately, it clicked in my head. I was like, holy moly. Talk about keys to the kingdom, no pun intended. Actually, yeah. pun intended. Yeah, but exactly. The, the internet, the, the, the unbelievable properties for 80 years, the incredible songs, the footage, the movies, like, and this isn't like, oh, let's come up with an idea and pitch it to Disney. This is Disney saying, we have access to everything. What would you do with it? Right. And I just went full bore. I said, high definition screen across the back of the stage, singers in front of it. And they were like, hey, why don't you fly down to Burbank and uh, talk to some people and let's see if we can work something out. So, you know, went right. down a couple times, put together a whole deck, worked with them there. And together we created Decapella. And and I'd done other groups like this before. But so I drew on, drew on all of that knowledge of everything I'd done to try to create this perfect ensemble and experience for the audience. Very interesting. So 
So now you've done you've pitched this and it almost sounds like you pitched it as a live concert version. Of, yeah. Right. Like that was the idea. The recording well, would come with it. But you were really thinking about oh, what would yeah. the stage. What would it be like on stage? And that's the point. They were a performing group and they were not a performing group to be in one place. They were not designed for cruise ships or for theme parks, although they will occasionally make you know special appearances here or there or whatever. Of course. Uh, but the it idea is, it is, is Disney after all. <laughs> it is Disney after all. But if you think about it, if you are not a child and you want to experience something Disney, either you've got to like watch a movie on a screen or you need to go to Orlando, right? right. Or you need to go to, to Disneyland or get on one of the Disney cruises. Like Disney is not coming to you in a live setting. There is like Disney That's on right. ice, but this is for kids, right? It's princesses right. and yeah, 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 yeah. And so the potential here to create a wonderful, modern, cutting edge, and compelling Disney show for audiences of all ages. And that sounds kind of like it means it's going to be cheesy or whatever. But that was never the intention. The idea was like, let's aim at teens and 20-somethings, make the show super cool, and everybody else will like it. Um, yeah. And bring that into people's homes. So if you're in you know, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or Chicago, or you're in Philadelphia, like you can have a wonderful Disney experience. And the great thing has been the Disney fans have all been coming out and, and of course, oh yeah. Of, of all, course. like I said, of all ages. And it is the rare show, you know, there's some musicals or whatever, where a, a grandparent can be sitting with their grandkids and enjoy it equally. You know, yeah. some teens can go or like some husband who's dragged there and like, Oh, I don't know if this is really my thing. And then he walks away loving it as much as his wife or more much as, I hear about the Pitch Perfect movies. I mean, there's something about acapella that breaks down those kind of stereotypes and barriers and really gets to people's hearts. And I'm going to get we're going to get into the recording and the and the concert because uh, I literally just saw it like three sure. days ago. Oh, great. Uh, Perfect. And, it's fresh. Yeah. And just uh, and in just a couple of minutes. Um, but I have a, a few more things I want to ask you uh, specifically. So Disney kind of gave you the keys of the kingdom and said, what do you want to sing? Right. They they let yep. you choose the rep. Was there at any point where they came and said, you know, we'd really like, you know, we're all about this synergy thing yeah. and yeah. we'd really like you to, to do a song from this because because this is the hot thing for us right now. Oh, uh, so Disney has been completely creatively uh, flexible and hands off. And the only time that uh, there are any like third rails that uh, we could potentially hit is if we hit one not specific to the Disney Music Group, but to the larger Disney Corporation. So to right. give you an example, um, there's something called lip flap that you're probably not aware of. Nobody in the public is able to, or, or or any performers in Disney shows or whatever, they're not able to sing along with a movie screen of the person on the screen singing, and they're creating the voice. They don't want like if you're if you've got the Little Mermaid up there, the Little Mermaid needs to be Jody Benson's voice. It Jody Benson, be, right. right? It can't be you acting like you're the Little Mermaid or singing the Little Mermaid's part. So right. um, that was an absolute rule. If their mouths happen to be moving because it's it's the piece of the clip they're using, it doesn't look like it's aligning with the lyrics. Now, right. the special dispensation that we got was for one of the first ideas I ever had, which was to take one of the early Silly Symphonies and do not just all the voices, but all the Foley and everything. And we're going to talk. So, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> so I did get the OK to do it there. But everywhere else, there's no lip flap. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that it was that's what it was called. But I did notice that in the concert. Oh, uh, by, by design. And there are also times when. um 
you know, I'd, you know, I was always kind of bugging them and talking to Danny Markman, who's the uh, head of A&R at, at Disney and said, we're prepping the show. What songs are going to be coming out while they're on tour? What shows? So I was able to hear uh, both Slaughter Race um, and uh, Place Where Lost Things Go Ugh. before the world was able to, like, I had these special water encoded, can't download, you know, like, <laughs> I, like I was. Uh, you know, NDA, you know, non-disclosure, right. uh, the whole thing. Right. But then we were able to whip them up and get screens and everything designed so that as people are seeing these movies, as they're in the pu- public consciousness, they're also being presented on, on stage by the group, which was, which is lovely. Yeah. yeah, it is. And it is lovely. As I read the bios of your, of the group, of yeah. the singers, um, it looked to me that a lot of them you already knew. Because they were from either groups that you had done or maybe something uh, – people that you had run into along your journey sure. that you've done. So did you actually – this is – this you may not be able to tell me this. Okay. Um, <laughs> did you actually hold auditions or was it a situation where you went, I'm going to go ask the people that I want? Oh, did we ever hold auditions? Yeah. Our auditions were through Telsey Casting and they're the people in, in uh, New York who cast Hamilton on Broadway. Right. They're used to dealing with among major, other among other things. They're used to handling major um, uh, audition processes. And boy, was this a major one. They were floored because – I took and shot the little video, like one minute announcing that we're doing this Disney group. And I put it on my own Facebook page and my own YouTube. That was it. Disney didn't even put it on theirs, right? Right. 1,000, some in person, bought me a video. And the Telsey people like weeded through things and then uploaded the good ones. And so I myself went through hundreds of them. Yeah. And there were definitely some people that I knew. And in fact, more people that. I knew that didn't make it than that did. I mean, that's definitely the case. That's why it is with auditions. <laughs> well, yeah, and, it, and 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 what we were looking for was something very specific. So I have to go back yeah. to mentioning pentatonics again. I think one of the reasons they were able to be so successful is they were right out of high school. And your average acapella group that gets popular comes out of college, and then it takes them a few years to get going. And then by the time they really get into the public consciousness, they're in their mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s. And your young teenagers are not able to look at them and be like, I identify with that person because at that point, they're almost closer to mom and dad's age than their age. As much as I have tons of friends who are amazing musicians or whatever, we decided to make it between age 20 and 30 uh, because we wanted it to skew on average a little younger than most of the groups that are popular and well-known now. Uh, And even the ones that are in the sing-off and most of those groups now are, um, you know, a approaching their late thirties and, and right. which there's nothing wrong with that, but what's the next generation? What's the next, you know, wh- who are the new faces? Who's going to grab the new tweens and say, we love them. And there's a reason there are new boy bands each generation because the Beatles are fantastic, right. but not everybody's going to fall in love with a bunch of guys in black suits in black and white footage. You know what I mean? There That's just right. has to be a new thing for a new generation. So um, the, a lot of the new faces in the group were young people that I had not met and that came from the voice or came from right. Newsies, the national Broadway tour. That's where we got Morgan. Right. Off That's where you our, got Morgan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. And, and uh, Orlando or baritone came from the voice and, right. um, and, and yet Shelly came from pitch perfect and RJ right. came from uh, RJ came from vocalocity. And so, right. I mean, there were, it was like all over and the, 
and I and truly, Antonio came and Antonio came from the Disney parks actually, right? He came, he, actually, he came from the Disney parks, and it was actually Tony DeRosa who sent me an email and basically said, "Deke, I know you're looking at a lot of people and getting overwhelmed. Please give this guy an extra look because he is yeah. absolutely something special." And yeah. I did give him an extra and he look, is. and I was like, "You're right, Tony," and he is amazing. Yeah. So the you know, and and something that a lot of people probably think is that when you look at the average acapella group, they're very uh, stylistically homogenous in a lot of ways. Like when you hear a group like take six, their voices blend effortlessly because they're so similar. Right. And when different guys step forward to do their solos, unless you know them, you probably can't necessarily tell all their individual voices. I want the opposite. And if you want to get a little music theory nerdy, it's a little bit like Schoenberg's Piero Lunaire quintet where ah. you've got one person on piano, one person who does woodwinds, one person who does strings. And, and each one of these different players uh, like maybe they'll pick up a clarinet in one piece and then a flute in another, or one person's playing the cello in one and a violin in another. And the difference of tones allows you a much greater variety throughout this entire suite of music. Right. And what I wanted to do was get very different voices, very different looks and personalities and backgrounds so that then we can have at one moment something that's powerful and rock and roll and then something else that's sweet and choral and then something else that's gospel and, and, and you've got and you're foregrounding different people and things. And then the headache is the blend. The headache right. is creating a group sound out of that, but I'll do that. That's my job. Like exactly. I can, no, I, I can put all that together. But then what you've got is a crack squad. You know, you've got Navy SEALs who are able to do all kinds of different things rather than just do one thing really, really well. And I right. think when you're talking about Voctive, that's that's what you have. You have th this incredible choral ensemble that has gorgeous sonorous harmonies and a style that is absolutely flawless, but they're not also able to do immortals by fallout boy. Oh no, not even. Right. Not or, even. or could they, could they do, you know, like full on like, exactly. So I wanted this group that could literally change from song to song into completely different styles. Um, yeah. And move yeah. and make people laugh and, and the whole thing. So since we're talking about that, I want to say, uh, I, I, you know, I love the group, but I have to tell you, those three girls, when they sing harmony together are unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, I, it's it's insane. Like it is such and you have you have arranged it in such a way and I'm jumping around at the moment. You've sure. arranged it in such a way that you give that throwback Andrew sister sound and you get that out of these three women that I have not heard anybody be able to do. Because it's oh, so you. hard to get that quality um, of, you know, just that 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 synchronicity between the three of them yep. to to create that sound. I mean, the thing that made the Andrews sisters so amazing is that they were sisters. And so they right. all spoke They're, together. They sounded the same. Blend. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, exactly yeah. right. You know, it's like listening to the Osmonds sing, right? Exactly. You, uh, but those three are when they do anything together, it just oh. It's just amazing. I'll probably have to cut that out um, because nobody no, really won because we no, don't, I don't want to. It's good. This is good. This is good to say because, um, I, you know, look, the three of them are very different people. And when they right. sing individually, Morgan has this kind of young princess, wide eyed kind of personality. And totally. when you and we did five tracks for uh, the Japanese audience and that that album is coming out very soon. And she sings in Japanese and she has that kind of like baby doll quality that's like, wow, she nails it. And then right. Shelly is like a trumpet. Oh, Shelly is big and brassy and powerful. <laughs> when she's singing her leads, she just rocks it. When she sings in this place, like you just rock and roll totally. and power. And then um, 
and this, Sojourners is just yes, it's rich uh, and sultry and wide uh, and you know beyond exactly. And exactly. yet, the three of them lock into this beautiful synchronicity. And um, the number one reason that happens is because they love each other. Yeah. You know, they it's are obvious. Sisters. And I refused when we were doing casting. There were people who were tremendously talented. But if I, if, I, if I noticed any diva, it was a, it was a no. It was a hard no veto. Yeah. Because these people have to yeah. live together on the road with each other for three months. And everybody gets on everybody else's nerves. But, the, but they have to be able to work it out. Right. And they have to be able to support each other. And and there has to be a lot of mutual respect and, and all that stuff. So so they get along beautifully and uh and they look at each other on stage and they want to make sure these things yes. get tight. And they came together yes. and found a sound between the three of them that is its own thing. Yeah, it's it's very true. And and it's true with the whole group. Um, you know, I don't want anybody to, that's listening to this to think that the guys are not equally as oh, amazing. No, no, no. no but, the, but, but the guys' voices by design are structured differently. So that's right. when you've got a vocal percussionist, their, their job is not blend. Their job is to create a different set of sounds. That's and your right. bass singer is not, is not, again, blend. The bass singer needs to be down an octave and a half below everybody else, rumbling out low yeah. tones. That cast which he is. Sound, which he is. <laughs> and there are times, there are times when the guys lock together and they, and you hear these tight, sweet harmonies in something like Remember Me, where they're singing That's right. in the oh. whole world. But for the most part, <laughs> the guys are designed to be spread out and cover a lot of different sonic space. And the women live in a, t in a tight unit up above uh, singing trio right. stuff. And you hear yeah. that on, on Moana How Far I'll Go, as well as when they're doing um, I Want to Be Like You. I mean, it's really, right. that's designed to be Andrew Sisters style right. stuff. And it's yeah. such a pleasure to have them singing these really difficult parts. Oh. I took the background, the Louis Prima background singers, all those ooh-ee-oohs and all that stuff. I took all that stuff right out of the recording and then turned it into a three-part close jazz harmony yeah. with all the different it's... syllables and rhythms and stuff like that. And it was obviously a lot of improvisation and stuff. When they were learning it, uh, one of the members, Kiana, who is uh, on the recording but not in the group uh, that's touring right now, she went to, just graduated from Berkeley College of Music. She was the music director of Pitch Slapped, probably the, the greatest college acapella group of the past decade, like unbelievably right. talented, fantastic musician. Um, and she said, Deke, this is the hardest thing I've, I've ever had to learn in my life. <laughs> Well, and yeah, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I'm sorry. Thank you. You know, but right. But exactly. she was at Berkeley College of Music, which is yeah, obviously the Harvard of pop music. And yep. uh, and she had never encountered anything like this. And yet I told them all the hardest things for you to learn in this rehearsal process will be your most favorite to sing on the road. Oh, and that's what they absolutely. all say. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's that's true. That is that is true. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Deke Sharon. That's part one of our interview that we had. Uh, part two will come out in our next episode. And I'm not sure if there'll be a part three or not, but believe me, we certainly have enough of an interview to have a part three also with Deke Sharon. All of it very interesting information. Um, I really loved talking with him. He's such a nice guy. Uh, he is every bit as nice as he sounds. Um, so anyway... Thanks again for listening to the Magic Music Review Podcast. If you want to find us on all the social medias, you can find me on Twitter. I'm the Disney Music Dude. You can find me on Facebook at Magic Music Review. Uh, and you can also find us at magicmusicreview.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll look forward to talking to you next time. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together. 
Now it's time to say goodbye to all our company. soon. Why? Because we like you. And